Let us pray as we stand. Lord, we have nowhere else to go but to you and to your word. We may have tried, we may have considered many alternatives, but here is a light for our path and a rock for us to stand on. And as we seek more truth from your word, show us once again Christ in all his truth and all his glory. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan Mason, I'm one of the lay readers here, and if you do know who I am, the same applies. I'd be most grateful if you could uh, make sure you have a Bible open in front of you. Uh, As you know, we're in the early chapters of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, just at the moment, Exodus chapter 2. It's in two sections, uh, separated by a period of about 40 years. I'm going to be focusing mainly, although not exclusively, on the first half of the chapter. That's Exodus 2, verses uh, 1 to uh, 10, on pages 58 and 59 of the Church Bibles. The birth of Moses. I guess many of us will have known this uh, story and loved it since childhood. And I guess there's no self-respecting book of children's Bible stories that doesn't contain, amongst the other contenders, you know, um, Noah and his ark, and uh, David and his Goliath, and Jonah and his big fish. Also the story of Moses in the bulrushes. It is indeed a charming story. But as I've read and reread it recently, I have uh, been reminded that it's not only a charming story, it's actually also a quite perplexing story. And ultimately, I found it a hugely encouraging story. So come with me, please, for the next few minutes and be charmed, be perplexed, and be encouraged. First of all, I invite you to be charmed by this story once again. Cruel Pharaoh is afraid that the Israelites will continue to grow in number and will become an increasing threat to him. So he decides that he needs to um, undermine the population at the point of reproduction. First, and this was in chapter 1, Pharaoh commands the Hebrew midwives to kill all the baby boys at birth. But the Hebrew midwives outwit him, and that particular plan fails. But then he commands, at the end of chapter 1, all of the baby boys to be cast into the Nile, and there, of course, drown. Baby Moses is hidden by his mother for three months and uh, then when she can hide him safely no longer she puts him in a little boat and sets him adrift on the waters of the Nile 
Pharaoh's daughter is down having a bathe. The princess sees a little boat, gets a slave girl to have a look inside, and she sees and hears the baby Moses crying. And she felt sorry for him, it says in verse 6. The princess felt sorry for the baby. And on that hinge of motherly, womanly feeling, she felt sorry for him. The whole story turns. If she hadn't felt sorry for him, he would have just drifted away and presumably been lost. But because she felt sorry for him, she decides to uh, do something about it. Meanwhile, Moses' sister, who we later learn uh, her name is Miriam, has been watching. Now, I don't think that Miriam can have been older than about 11 or 12 years old. Otherwise, she'd have been out in the fields working. But Miriam has been watching, and she says to the princess, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse that baby for you? Princess says, Yes, please do that. And so Miriam returns with Moses' own mother. And then, so she's able to look after Moses, and then some years later, hand him back to Pharaoh's daughter and to an upbringing in the safety and uh, relative civilization of the royal court. It's a charming story. Indeed, I'd like you to consider with me um, the following charming ironies within this story. It's ripping with irony, really, this account. Irony number one. In a male-dominated system where Pharaoh was a god, it is women who show the intelligence, compassion, courage, and resourcefulness to do what is needed. It was just the same in chapter one with Hebrew midwives. And now it's the same with the women. Um, Moses' mother, Moses, uh, Moses' sister, and the princess. Irony number two. Pharaoh's murderous policy is undermined by his own daughter, who rescues the very person who will eventually deliver Israel from Egypt's clutches. Irony, irony number three. Pharaoh's chosen means of destruction, the river Nile, becomes a means of rescue. As Moses floats on the water of the Nile until heard and seen and found and rescued. Irony number four. Moses' mother gets to do the very thing that she wants to do, namely nurse her own child, and is paid from Pharaoh's own budget for doing so. <laughs> Irony number five. Moses receives a privileged education in Pharaoh's court, equipping him for his future role as leader of God's people. Don't ever try and tell me that God does not have a sense of humour when a story like that has so many humorous and ironic twists and turns. Yes, let's be absolutely charmed by that story. 
God, God wonderful way of working. Now, as I'll probably mention more than once, without God's name being mentioned once, not even once, in the telling of the story. Be charmed. But secondly, be perplexed by this story. I agree, it's a delightful story, worth being read and reread by children and grown-ups alike. But there is an underlying brutality which we cannot ignore. I don't know how long Pharaoh's killing spree lasted, or how many of those baby boys were drowned in the Nile. I simply don't know. But we do know that throughout this time, God's people were suffering. Suffering increasingly. We haven't even got to the bricks without straw bit yet. Why were God's people suffering? Well, at times, later on in the Old Testament story, God's people will suffer because of their own sins, their own godlessness, their own idolatry. Think of the exile. But that is not the case here. There is no mention that God is punishing his people because of any sin of their own. They were, in fact, when they were in Egypt, in the very place to which God himself had sent them. God had said to Jacob back in Genesis chapter 46, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down into Egypt with you, said God, and I will surely bring you back again. I will go down into Egypt with you, said God to Jacob. Well, was God with them? And even if God was with them, why is everything happening so slowly? <laughs> I've mentioned, I think, already between verses 10 and 11, there is a 40-year gap if we are to take as our inspired guide, uh, Stephen's account of this in Acts chapter 7. And between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is another 40-year gap. There's time for an entire generation of Israelites to be born into slavery, grow up in slavery, and grow old in slavery. And still God seems to be doing not very much. You know, this story of Moses makes us face up to the days, weeks, and sometimes years of darkness that may be part of our own experience as God's people too. But at the same time, God does just lift a corner of the curtain to show us that there is another story going on. His story. The story of his plans and promises and purposes. So by all means be charmed by this story. Certainly be perplexed with me by it. But also thirdly, be encouraged by this story of Moses. For this is, amongst other things, the story of God's 
patience. I don't have a knockdown argument to convince you or persuade you or explain to me why God works to the time scale that he sometimes does work to. I can't explain to you really why sometimes God can do more in a day than any of us or all of us can accomplish in a lifetime or why he sometimes takes generations to do what we would like him to do overnight. I, can't, I don't have a knockdown explanation for that. But I can see some signs in Scripture as to why God works to his own timescale. And sometimes it seems to our experience impossibly stretched. God's patience then. Who is God being patient with here? Well, two groups of people for starters. God is being patient with the Egyptians following in the later chapters of Exodus. There will be nine plagues. And what are the first, excuse me, ten plagues, and what are the first nine of those if they are not warning shots across Pharaoh's and the Egyptians' bows saying, stop, change, believe. God is being patient with the Egyptians. Their probation will continue for some time to come. God is not yet ready to act decisively for the Israelites, which would mean also acting decisively against the Egyptians. But there is another people group with whom God is being patient. And that is, wait for it, the Amorites. The Amorites? How did they creep into it? God had promised way back in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham and given Abraham, established with Abraham his covenant. A covenant, the fulfillment of which runs through the entire scripture like a crimson cord, like a crimson thread. And one of the things that God says to Abraham back in Genesis 15 is this. Know for certain that your, descendant, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, that's Egypt of course, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years, and after that your descendants will come back here, back here to the promised land, back here to Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now the term Amorites stands as an umbrella term for all of those people groups occupying Canaan at the time, whose attitudes and beliefs and behaviours were full of unspeakable wickedness. But they are not yet ripe for judgment. There were still time for them to change and God is being patient with them their time is not up yet it's the story of God's amongst other things of God's patience and the New Testament too speaks I think wonderfully of God's patience I think of Second Peter chapter 3 do not forget this one thing, dear friends, says Peter, 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is, what is he? Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let us therefore be encouraged this morning that God's patience is lasting, much more lasting than your patience or my patience would have been. Be encouraged, God's patience is lasting. But let us be warned too, God's patience is not everlasting. That's why the consistent note of God in scripture is today, today do not harden your heart. Today, while it is called today, turn and believe and trust. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time of rescue. Now is the time to find out more. Now, at the very close of this service, is the time to have a word with Will Warren about exploring Christianity in the course that's coming up in a few weeks' time. Now, 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 because God's patience is lasting but it is not everlasting. Let me turn in closing from the second book of the Bible to the very last, the 66th book, sixth book of the Bible, the book, book of Revelation. In chapter 6, we have a vision of the souls of Christian martyrs down the ages crying out to God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And they were told to wait a little longer, because God is patient. Then in Revelation chapter 6, we read this. There will be no more delay, but the mystery of God, and I take that to be the gospel in all its fullness, but the mystery of God will be accomplished just as God announced to his servants, the prophets. And then in the following chapter, Revelation 11, finally will come, will dawn the day when the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And evil, wickedness, unbelief, idolatry, banished forever. I said that God was being patient with the Egyptians and with the Amorites, and I've hinted, I hope strongly enough, that God is being patient with us too. God is, of course, also being patient with Moses. Moses, at this time, uh, would have the heart and education of a leader. We hear about that in the second part of this chapter. But Moses did not yet have the commission or the empowerment of a leader. That will begin to happen next, in Exodus chapter 3. We return to that in two weeks' time. Until then, you're just going to have to be patient. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have been patient beyond measure with us. We would not have chosen ourselves. We would not have been so patient with ourselves, godless and unbelieving as we have been. 
but many of us here can testify to the fact that you sought and found us. And now we pray that you would seek out and find yet more. And may we cry out to you while it is still day and know that you will hear and answer. Amen.